Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children for those that keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning... We're in Psalm 103. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. Psalm 103 starts and ends with David doing something seemingly crazy. In fact, if you were next to the David in the grocery store or something like that, and you heard him, you would notice that he was, in fact, talking to himself. Anyone here talk to yourself? Yeah, maybe. But see, David's not just talking out into the air. He's not just rambling or reciting some kind of self-help phrase. David is talking to his own soul. He's talking to his own heart. David is telling his soul to bless the Lord. Simply meaning, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bring glory to his name. Show gratitude, thanks, love, Toward the Lord. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Just the fact that David is telling his own soul to bless the Lord tells us something about the process David's in right now. He recognizes 
that what he wants to do or what he's speaking or what he's writing or singing, there's some gap, there's some separation between his soul praising the Lord and just his lips speaking praises to the Lord. And so David is writing, speaking, talking, singing to himself first, saying, come on, soul. Come on, soul. Join me in what I'm saying. Don't make me into a liar. Don't make me into a hypocrite. Come on, soul. Praise with me, the Lord. Have you ever been there? You ever feel that? I have many times. What about this morning when we were singing? Maybe some of the words we were singing up there, we were saying them with our mouths, but do you ever notice sometimes our heart tends to lag or maybe not be that engaged? Or at least there's some gap between the words that we're singing and what our heart is feeling, the praise that's coming out of our very being. Maybe it's from being weary. Maybe it's from a trial that just won't end. You're just tired. You're just beat down. And your lips can utter praises to the Lord, but your heart is just not there. Or maybe you're just busy, a thousand things going on in your head. You're thinking of work and school and kids and cleaning and family and relationships. And when you have to be aware. And so it's easier just to say praise to the Lord, but to get your heart actually there, it's hard to get everything else out of the way. We're just so inundated with other things in our head that maybe our, our souls aren't fully there in praising the Lord. Or maybe, maybe everything is just great. It's fine. It's at least stable for now. And so praising the Lord with everything that is within me just hasn't really come up or don't really see a necessity for doing that. Whatever the reason, David points out something in his own life that I believe is relevant to all of us. And that's that our soul needs to be told to praise the Lord. That we need to preach to ourselves reasons to praise the Lord. Psalm 103, David writes down just what he needs to hear to praise God. And because of the Holy Spirit inspiring him and preserving this word, my friends, it's just what we need to hear as well to tell our own souls why we should praise the Lord. We have right here a Holy Spirit-inspired recipe for making praise come out of our soul. Something else about Psalm 103 is if you notice, there's nothing else going on around that psalm. We have no nice heading that says what's going on in Israel at that time. It doesn't talk about David or what's going on in his life. We don't necessarily know if he's young or old. The psalm itself gives no historical anything about Israel or about nations or about wars. Nope. I think God did that on purpose to prove to us, to show to us, to remind us this psalm applies to all people in all circumstances whenever. Whether you're male, female, young, old, rich, poor, living thousands of years ago or here today, this psalm is for us. And it is a call to praise. It is a call to praise the Lord of the universe. As Jordan talked about last week, psalms are songs, right? Remember that? It's poetry. And as such, some psalms have kind of a single thread that runs through or a progression or even an argument that the psalmist brings forth as we're working our way through the psalm. Well, Psalm 103 doesn't do that. 
Psalm 103 is almost just wave upon wave upon wave, almost the scattered thoughts of David as he's meandering through, considering why he should praise the Lord. And it's like one thought leads to the next, leads to the next, and then he comes back around and hits this one again in a different angle and just goes on and on and on, praising God and giving his soul reasons to praise the Lord. So, considering that, as we work through this morning, we're just going to work through this psalm the way that David wrote it, which is just considering verse by verse, reason by reason, why we should be praising our Lord, why we should call ourselves and others to praise the Lord. To help us out, though, I did break it down into three sections. So if you want to write this down, you might want to put you know, parentheses next to it that this is not inspired and not totally, you know, all-inclusive for each of my categories, but I think it does help us work through it this morning. So the first is verses 2 through 7, and it is, Bless the Lord for what he has done. Verses 2 through 7, Bless the Lord for what he has done. The next is, Bless the Lord for who he is. And then finally, before we close, Bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. Bless the Lord for what he has done. Bless the Lord for who he is. And bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. So, as we dig into Psalm 103, join me as we join David in speaking to his soul. And before we launch, I just want to pray for us. And I want to encourage you to engage. Be with me this morning. Let's hear from the psalm. Let's God, let God's word speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit be ministering to us as we read these maybe familiar words. Father God, come before you now very much aware of my uh, weakness, my inability to fully and truly communicate all that is worthy in you to be praised, is worthy of honor. But Father, I thank you for giving us this psalm. I thank you for giving us your word And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us now. And Lord, we ask you, Spirit, to minister to our hearts. Please don't let us leave here unchanged by this passage. Please don't let our hearts be unaffected. Lord, I pray that our soul will be turned to praise you more because of the words from David. Help us this morning as we work through this. Amen. All right, so first point, first section, verses 2 through 7. Bless the Lord for what he has done. So in this section, David says, Bless the Lord uh, who redeems your life, who heals your diseases, who crowns you, satisfies you, renews your life, works righteousness, works justice, makes himself known. And this is just a small sampling of the list. David goes through. Bless the Lord for what he has done. So let's start at the top. Verse number two, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David starts his exhortation to his own soul by saying, Soul, since you're not totally with me on praising the Lord yet, let's start in with a reason to praise the Lord. Let's consider what he's done in my life. Let me think through, Lord, what you have done. Let's start there, soul, as we're considering why we should praise the Lord. And to me, this reminds me, especially the part where he says, forget not all God's benefits. Do you guys remember when we were in Joshua? 
And God told the Israelites to make those mounds of stones. You guys remember that? We had rocks even sitting here for a while. Do you remember the two purposes we said that those stones existed? You remember that? Remember and proclaim. Remember and proclaim. The idea was we're forgetful. We don't remember what God has done. And so when the Israelites were strolling a couple generations after the Red Sea had been parted, they were strolling by with their kids, and their kids are like, what's with the pile of rocks? Their dad would say, oh, I haven't told you about God's faithfulness, about how he pulled us out of Egypt, about how he saved us and preserved us and made us into a people that served that purpose. And it seems like David is doing the same thing with his soul. Hey, soul. Not feeling like praising God right now? Let me start by telling you what God has done. Let's remember. Let's remember what he has done for us. And so, church, I tell you the same thing. Let's remember together right now. Let's remember what God has done for us. First thing, bless the Lord, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. Is there a better benefit than that if we're remembering God's benefits? God forgives all our iniquities. Clearly, David certainly knew this. He certainly experienced in his his lifetime that he did not get the right payment for the sins that he had committed, and the same is for us. Let's start by reminding our soul that we are forgiven all our sins. David's going to get back to this a little bit later, so we're going to move on. The latter part of verse 3 says, The Lord heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So consider with me then, think about, have you ever recovered from an illness? Have you ever had a broken bone that mended? Have you ever maybe gotten over bronchitis? Your body ever been cured of an infection? That was the Lord. That was the Lord healing you. Don't forget those things. Those aren't just things that happen. As we talked about earlier today, Jesus is the one that holds the whole universe together. Your stubbed toe healing in a couple days is nothing less than a miracle. It is our Lord working in our lives. And it's also a giant pointer, right? Because we certainly know that there are some diseases that God doesn't heal in our lifetime. He doesn't heal on our timeline. But what do we know about the future? Perfect healing, right? Perfect restoration, is found in our Lord. One day, all of our diseases will be healed. But let's not forget the ones that right now, the blessings right now that he has given us. Let's not forget his benefit of healing us. What about who redeems your life from the pit? The other night, uh, this week, I was driving late at night on 495, coming home from work, and it was like 1130 or something, and I'm just cruising along, talking to Casey on the phone, and all of a sudden, brake lights stopped. All five lanes, nothing. No exit I could go on. 45 minutes, I'm just sitting there in park, no motion. And then finally roll up and the all too too familiar scene of multiple car accident. Clearly, very serious wreck. Has God spared your life in some way? Has he saved you from a serious accident? Maybe that we didn't even know about. Maybe in ways we do know about. Bless him for that. Tell your soul, thank you, Lord, that I wasn't in a car wreck today. Thank you for preserving me. Thank you that my legs still work. Thank you that I can breathe and talk and function. That's all him, church. Tell your soul that. If you're here and you can sit and you can think and you can stand, 
And you can still speak to your family. That is the Lord. Bless him for that. It's not a small thing. Don't be familiar with those things. Bless bless the Lord for that. And then finally, the end of verse 4, we are crowned with steadfast love and mercy. And I kind of just have this picture in my head, the idea that God redeems our life, heals us, and then crowns us with love and mercy. His love and mercy. Like it's something to be displayed, to be seen, not something just hidden inside. He secretly saved us. He secretly healed us. But he healed us. He saves us. He redeems our life. And then he displays his love and his mercy on us like a crown. One that we can wear prideful in our Savior and our Lord and that we can broadcast to everyone that sees us. I was healed. I was saved from my car wreck because of my Lord. I'm crowned with his love. I'm crowned with his mercy. Tell your soul this. Verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who satisfies you. Satisfies you. There's a lot of things in this world that promise to satisfy us, isn't there? Money, sex, information. If we just knew more, if we studied more, if we learned more, if we knew more about research that was going on, all of those things categorically will not satisfy you, cannot satisfy you. It reminds me of John 4.14, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. You remember this? He says, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Tell your soul who truly satisfies you. Tell your soul who does good for you and satisfies you with that good. Not fleeting things, not things that will just burn or wash away or leave you feeling empty or hungry for more. True soul satisfaction. David recognized the Lord is the one that gives you that. Tell your soul the Lord satisfies you with good. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Justice for all who are oppressed. Not some, not the ones that whine the most or the people that finally have a newspaper article written about them. All who are oppressed. Our Lord is a just God. Our God executes perfect justice. There is not a crime committed a sin that is done, a slight against another person that will not be perfectly and completely paid for. That is in our God's nature. And I think we have that inside of us. We recognize when some wrong is being done, right, where it seems like justice doesn't prevail, that bothers us, doesn't it? That's us imaging God because God is just as well. In some ways we see justice carried out in a small scale in our lives, but many things are left for the future. But David tells his soul, the Lord is the one who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We can look forward to the day where his justice will be carried out perfectly, and we can tell our soul that as well. Remind our soul that our Lord is a just God. He works righteousness. Verse 7. The Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
The Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. What's David saying there? What's he telling his soul in that moment? Our God is a revealing God. He loves to tell us about himself. He loves to broadcast his character and his nature to us. And this is a wild thing. We, we are way too familiar with this. We're way too comfortable with this. I tried to think of a good analogy, and I'm sorry, this is terrible, but I'm going to try it anyway. Imagine I go home today, and I'm sitting on my couch, and my phone rings, and it says probably spam, but for some reason, I go ahead and pick it up anyway. And I pick it up, and somebody, you can fill in the blank, someone famous, maybe Tom Brady or Elon Musk or something like that, calls me, and it's Elon. And he says, hey, Tyler, it's Elon. Really? Yes, it is. Okay. Hey, I was just wondering, do you have time to get together tomorrow for coffee? I just want to tell you about my hopes and my dreams, about what's going on in my companies, about, you know, where I'm working, what I think my future is, and just like really what I'm desiring. I want to share that with you. Do you ever see that ever happening in a thousand years? No, because it doesn't happen. And Elon is way, 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 infinitely, terribly, awfully far away from our infinite God. The God of the universe, church, wants to reveal himself to us, does reveal himself to us, preaches to us from his word who he is. He tells us his heart. He tells us his plans. He tells us what he's like. Is that crazy? Does that blow your mind? Because it should blow our minds. Tell your soul. Blow your, mo- your soul's mind. <laughs> God reveals himself to us. He tells us. We are not just aimlessly wandering around. I wonder what God's like. We'll never know. Maybe he's like a chair. Maybe he's like we don't know. We have God's word telling us what he's like, telling us his, his character, his person, that he's loving, that he's just, that he's working righteousness. Bless the Lord for that. Bless the Lord for that. I think that's the closing of our section of blessing the Lord for what he has done. I think, I hope, that's just a small little spark. That's a tiny little like top of a mountain you can imagine that we could mine and dig down into of all the ways and the things that God has done for us. That we could tell our soul, consider what God has done, soul. Bam, list, list, list. My family, my work, my children, my relationships, the way he's been faithful to us and his character toward us. It is a good thing for us to preach to our souls what God has done for us. Do you start to feel a little bit of soul praise welling up maybe? A little bit? A little bit? All right. We're just getting revved up here. Number two, bless the Lord for who he is. Bless the Lord for who he is. This is verses 8 through 12. And like I said, David's kind of roaming in and out here. So these aren't just hard sections, but generally he's talking about God's attributes here. Just who God is in his nature. David sort of extends his gaze. He starts knowing that his soul needs to start at a clear spot. He just starts on what God has done for him in his life that he's experienced personally. And now almost got David's stepping back and recognizing, wow, God, you've done more than just things for me or things for your people, but just who you are. Verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. That's who he is. We're not even mentioned in there. It's just who he is. He is merciful, gracious, loving, slow to anger. There's no qualifiers there. None. 
He's not slow to anger most of the time or loving toward people who he doesn't get irked at too easily. Our God is perfectly merciful, perfectly gracious, slow to anger, forever abounding, overflowing, exceedingly loving. In the verses to follow, David continues to fill out these attributes. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide. I had to look that one up. I don't use that in a sentence often. It's basically like rebuke. The Lord will not continue to rebuke us into eternity, nor will he keep his anger forever. Basically, the Lord does not hold a grudge against us. We don't have to sit there and wait for the other shoe to fall, that he's just waiting there, getting this anger all built up, and we're not seeing it right now, but it's coming out. No, he doesn't. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Let me read that one for us again. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I think this is something that we're too familiar with as well. So just consider for a moment, what would it look like for God to repay us for our sins and for our iniquities? It's a scary place to go, but let's go there for just a moment. Consider, what would it look like? Consider the true horror of our sin. That from the point we were born, even before then, we were in active rebellion against the Lord of the universe. We hated him. We were born to hate God. We were cursed with sin. And the sin that came out of us from every single day of our lives is just proof of the fact that we want to be God. We want to say, God, you are not the Lord. I am the Lord. I want to rule. I want to reign. And I don't want to do what you say. That's the crime that we've committed against the king of the universe, the Lord who reigns over all. Now, what penalty do we deserve for that? For defaming and rebelling against the infinitely good and perfect God. We deserve an equally infinitely terrible punishment, damnation, destruction, torture for all of eternity. That is what we deserve, friends, from not starting now, starting in eternity past for what we have done against our Lord. It is a terrible thing to consider. And after lingering there for just a moment, let's go back to what David said. The Lord does not deal with us according to our sins. Even right now, right, we're alive and breathing and standing, not facing his wrath, not being judged by him. He is not repaying us now according to our sins, and he will not repay us in the future for our sins. God does not deal with us according to our sin. There is no better news. There's no better news for any of us sitting here this morning that God doesn't deal with us according to our sin. Move on to the next verse. I mean, it fills it out even more. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. The picture David's making here is basically infinite, infinite. As high as the heavens are above the earth. The heavens he's talking about are like the galaxies. David's thinking, what's the largest distance I can possibly think of? Uh, From the earth to 
the farthest star that we can think of. That's how great God's love is toward us. That's the height of it. That's what we're talking about. Basically mind-blowing. David's saying, think of the furthest distance that you can imagine. God's love is greater. Greater than that toward those who fear him. Verse 12 continues. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Similar to God's love, David is saying, as far as the east is from the west, basically from infinity in this direction to infinity in this direction, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. Our transgressions aren't just nearby, but covered up or sort of invisible or shrunken down or further enough away that they don't look as bad as they are. They are removed from us, completely removed, completely clean. As far as the east from the west, that's how far our sins have been removed from us. The picture is that God doesn't even see them. They're not associated with us any longer. Our sins are not attached in any way to us as people, as believers in the Lord. And in pondering this this week, I was just thinking, to David, this must have been a crazy mystery. He just spoke about a couple of verses ago how God is just. If God is perfectly just, then how can he remove David's transgressions from him? David murdered somebody. If God is perfectly just, then how could he say, David, your transgressions are just removed? David believed it, rightfully so. But church, we get to joyfully revel in the truth even more because we know more of the mystery than David did. We get to sit on this side of Calvary and recognize God is perfectly just because he punished his son for David's sin and for my sin, and for your sin. And he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west because he put them on his son who already bore his wrath. Amen? Our God is just and our sins are forgiven. Our God is just and our sins are taken away. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. There's no better news for us. Our Lord God put on his son the punishment that we deserved. That's basically what David is talking about through this whole psalm. He just doesn't know it in fullness yet. And we get to see it a little bit more clearly than David did. The high treason, the sin that we committed against the God of the universe, deserved eternal damnation and destruction. And God executed that judgment on his son, Jesus, on our behalf. That is why our souls should be blessing the Lord. That is our encouragement to ourselves. Consider what we deserve. Considering how God, consider how God treats us, soul. Come on, soul. Praise God for him. I draw your attention to something in the next couple of verses and in verse 11 starting. There actually is a qualifier here that would make this psalm very bad news. For some. Verse 11 says, So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. In other words, God, in his character, by definition, is perfectly loving. Perfectly loving. That is who God is. But his love is only toward people who fear him. 
Look at the next verse, verse 13, shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse, eight, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is for those who fear him. Verse 18, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. You see, this psalm doesn't elicit praise in all people. This psalm only elicits praise in God's people because it is God's people that are in covenant with him. It is God's people who fear him and as such have God's full love directed toward them, as verse 11 says, his steadfast love toward us. Once again, we can look a little bit further beyond just what David could see. David saw the Old Testament and the covenant that God had made with his people, but we get to see a new covenant made in Jesus and his blood. Jesus, as our Savior, clothes us in his righteousness. We are in him. We are a part of the new covenant. And so when the psalm says, those who fear him, those who are in his covenant, those who keep his commandments, that is us, church. That is those that are redeemed, that have been purchased back, that are in Christ, that are one in Christ. This psalm is good news for us because we are in Christ, because we are those who fear God, because we are those who keep his covenant. We are in Jesus. And so because of that, this is very, very good news. This is reason to praise. Only through Jesus is God's love toward us. Let's praise him for that. Bless the Lord for who he is. Like I said, similar to the previous section, can you imagine more things about who God is, his character, his attributes, than David even mentioned here? I hope you can. I bet you can. Tell your soul about it. Tell your soul about who God is. Make that list. I bet you won't be able to stop writing for all the ways that God is worthy of our blessing and our praise and our honor, just in who he is just in who he is alone? Or is your soul still being stirred up to praise? A little bit more, maybe? Honestly, I think David probably could have stopped right here. The end, lunch break, I'm out of here. Enjoy the psalm, everybody, for the next couple thousand years. And it would still stand today, and we would still preach many, many sermons on it. But thankfully, David didn't stop there. He continues on. The final section Bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. I am sure you can write that better than I did. It's not using any kind of parallel structure with the other points. Bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. Verses 13 through 19. David's last movement to his soul is to contrast our own weakness, our own frailty, our own insignificance to the Lord's power and his unchangeableness. Verse 13 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us. David not only tells us about what God has done or about who he is, but David actually goes further to reveal God's heart toward us. How God feels 
toward us. And he uses this analogy, and it's just an analogy of human people. And the picture is a father. I'm not sure. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Section three. Bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. I'll read verse 13 again. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So David is showing us God's heart toward his people. God's heart toward us. Just picture that for a moment. Maybe imagine your heart towards your children, or if you were blessed to have a good earthly father, consider your father towards you. It's like God is reaching down, has us by the hand, and recognizes that we are weak, recognizes that we don't understand, that we are limited It's like my son sitting there trying desperately to button up his shirt, all of his energy, all of his strength, being frustrated, even to the point of tears. And God recognizing, Tyler, I know you're weak. I know you're trying what you can do. I built you that way. I know your frame. I remember that you are dust. I made you that way. God us as limited. God didn't make us into other gods. He made us into his creation, into his children, into creatures. Verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. David acknowledges that we are weak and insignificant. The picture of a flower blooming in the desert, and then the scorching heat comes, and the flower just fades away, blows away, and you come back a week later, and you don't even know there was ever even a plant there in the first place. That's like our lives. Just a breath, like grass. The interesting thing here, though, is that David, if you notice, he doesn't focus on man's weaknesses. You see what the point is that Dave is actually making here? He focuses on the fact that God knows our weaknesses. God knows where we are in our weaknesses. God knows that we are dust. He remembers our frame. He remembers what we're built out of because he made us. He created us that way. If you're reading along in Hebrews this week, Chapter 4, I think we got to uh, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our Lord Jesus was human like us. 
So even more than David saying that God knows our frame and that we are dust, we on this side of Calvary can say, and, and in addition to that, we have a Savior who was one of us, who was made into a fleshy person, who knew what it was like to be tempted, who knew what it was like to be hungry. Our Savior was human like us. He can sympathize perfectly, perfectly in our weaknesses. In our culture, being weak, being frail, feeling insignificant are all things that we're supposed to cover up. You feel that? Not show your weakness. Don't let other people know that. Put on a good face. Change yourself or buy something to make you stronger or different or less vulnerable in that area. We don't have to hide or be fake, though, with our Lord because he knows our weaknesses. He's not being fooled. He's not disappointed when we fail. Our God knows us. We don't have to pretend for him. He knows that we are dust. And that's a reason to praise him. Tell your soul that. Tell your soul. I am just dust. But don't sit in just your own dustiness. Consider the fact that the God of the universe knows that I am just dust, and he has compassion on me. Like a father has compassion with his small child, our Lord has compassion on us. He knows who we are. And in contrast, verse 17, unlike people, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. God's love is unchanging. It is steadfast. It is unmoving. David, I think, says steadfast love four or five times in this passage alone. Our God is steadfast in his love toward us. His righteousness is not going to fall off or dip or slowly wane as in future generations that believe in him. It is from everlasting to everlasting. It is never-ending. We can never exhaust it. And then verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over what? His kingdom rules over all. Over all. He rules in the heavens outside of the realm we can even imagine. Not just rules over America, not just rules over the world, not just rules over the galaxies or the universe. He rules over all. He's established his throne in a dimension beyond where we even exist right now. We can praise God in our weakness because he is not weak. We can praise God in our frailty because our God is not frail. Our perfect, all-powerful God of the universe that upholds and and keeps everything together and rules it for all of eternity, knows our weaknesses, and is with us. Because of that, we don't have to fret about our own weaknesses. We don't have to cover up when we fail. When we run out of time at a project on work, in work, or when you can't get your house clean, or when you foul up a relationship with somebody else, God knows that. God knows that we are weak and frail. And we can tell our soul, God knows where we are, and God is perfect in his relationships. I'm not letting him down. I'm not slowing his progress. Our God is ruling the universe right now. 
He's not dependent on the dust, but he has compassion on us. We can tell our Lord, we can tell our soul that our Lord is the premier ruler over all the universe, and he is for us. We are in him because of Jesus. Tell your soul, bless the Lord for his rulership. Bless the Lord for his compassion toward us, his creation. That wraps up his compassionate rule. Bless the Lord for what he has done. Bless the Lord for who he is. And bless the Lord for his compassionate rule. So in the final conclusion of the psalm, it doesn't go anywhere else than where we started in the very beginning. David says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So what did David do there? Did you notice he like blew past the exit he was shooting for miles ago in trying to encourage his own soul to bless the Lord? Where does he go? He goes beyond bless, telling his own soul to bless the Lord, and he goes to telling everyone, everywhere, all creation, even the angels, bless the Lord. By David preaching to himself the reasons to bless the Lord, he ends this psalm exceeding even what he was hoping for. Not only is his soul blessing the Lord, but he's telling everything in all of creation to bless the Lord as well. And I think that's true for us too. Even in a very small way, I can tell you this morning, singing with you, hearing your words as you're saying words to yourself and to each other, my heart was encouraged to want to bless the Lord all the more and to praise him. So tell your soul to bless the Lord, but then also tell your children and tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your friends. Tell them the reasons to bless the Lord. Give, David gives us 22 verses of reason upon reason upon reason where he's just skimming across the surface of all the reasons to bless the Lord. So that's it. Bless the Lord, church. Bless the Lord. That's it. We end right where we started. I would encourage you Take this psalm, it's only 22 verses, read it this week. Read it every day. Seriously, you have time. I encourage you, if you can, do it in the morning to start your day, but if not, hit it at some point during the day. And in doing so, don't just read it like you're reading a story or a book. Read it to your own soul. Tell your soul, preach to your soul, bless the Lord's soul. Come on, soul, come on. We believe this, we know this. Who is our God? What has he done for us? How does he see us? I think just like David, we will not be able to help but bless the Lord after that. We will not be able to help but let, have our lives be an outflowing of praise to him, both in our words, in our hearts, and in what our actions and what our lives look like. We won't be able to help it. Let me just pray for us. Father, Lord, we love you, and we desire to praise you. We desire to bless your name. Oh God, please help us by the power of your spirit that lives inside of us to remember what you've done, to bring to mind and think and meditate on who you are. 
for us to consider your headship and the way you view us and the way you treat us and your love toward us. God, I pray that we would be changed from the inside, from our souls, from our hearts, upon remembering and considering who you are. Lord, I pray that Psalm 103 will leave us changed. Lord, I pray that your word would pierce us and would change us. I pray that we would love to praise you more. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us in the times where we don't feel like praising. Help us in the times where what we say doesn't match with what our hearts are experiencing. Lord, help us to believe you. Help us to believe you with all that is within me. With every bit of our being, help us to praise you and bless you. Lord, I pray that it's not just a personal inside experience, but that we would overflow just like David. We would proclaim your greatness, proclaim your blessings, proclaim your character, proclaim your love, and cause everything around us to bless you as well. We love you, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. Amen.